Welcome to the Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. It's another show today with Erica and Heidi, and we have a special guest, Sarah Bloomquist from Moms Mental Health Initiative. Uh, and it's, hi, Sarah. Welcome. Thanks so, for coming. She really um, was willing to jump on last minute with us. Uh, we, we have the scheduled time now where we're recording. Today's uh, April 15th, tax day, but we are meeting on Thursdays now, and we have our technology set up via Zoom. So we can really meet no matter what's going on in the rest of our lives, which is really convenient. And I just, I texted Sarah and I said, you know what, it's, it's a podcast day. And Eric and I were wondering if you would like to come on because it's, um, well, what is it, Sarah, you want to give us a little background of what's special about this week? It's Black Maternal Health Week this week, which is recognizing and raising awareness around the disparity between black women, brown women, women of color and white women when it comes to maternal health. So we're kind of focusing a lot around the perinatal period, the postpartum period, the the time from when you get pregnant roughly to a year plus after. Um, And, you know, what we know is that more women are hospitalized um, and needing psychiatric care during their reproductive years more than any other time in their life. And a lot of that is directly related to what goes on in that perinatal period, as well as, um, you know, what other stressors uh, are playing a role in their life at the time. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of things there. Um, you know, you, I know a little bit of your story. You're the founder and executive director of Moms Mental Health Initiative, which is a few years old now, and we're going to want to hear that story. But it came out of uh, like the passion that was created out of your own experience um, and with postpartum depression, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll get more of that story in a minute. But we, um, with Bridge the Divide, we we like to talk about how life is different for people in our country based on skin color. And that's often an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people, but there are a lot of facts to back that up. And so maternal health is one area where there are a lot of facts and a lot of healthcare disparities, but today we're going to focus on maternal health since we have Sarah. So, um, Really, the findings, just in a nutshell, are that uh, for African-American and Native American and Asian women, uh, in pregnancy, especially related to death, mortality, uh, you know, they have five times more mortality for women over age 30 in these women of color compared to white women. And that's even when you hold 
um, education and income constant. Is that right, Sarah? Yes. Across the board, doesn't matter what level of education or what your socioeconomic status is. The um, roughly four times Black women are roughly four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications. Mm -hmm. And really in the, in the U S in this day and age, um, in, in this country, should, should anybody be dying as a result of, of childbirth? Like what? Right. And then, and then why is it so much higher, Mm -hmm. especially when you hold other characteristics constant in women of color? You have to ask yourself, what role is race playing in these disparities? And so it's it's a national health initiative. And I think it was reiterated last week by the Centers for Disease Control that racism is a public health crisis. Yes. Correct. So it it doesn't it doesn't help anyone to keep saying that we don't have a problem here. We have a lot of data, especially, you know, one area that we focus on a lot because we're nurses is healthcare disparities. So it's very clear in our country, if you have a different skin color, you have different outcomes. So Sarah, are you willing to tell a little bit about your story and what led to the creation of the Moms Mental Health Initiative, which is Milwaukee-based? And then, um, you know, share any stories about women or um, anything that you've come up in, against in your work that you think might help our readers understand why some of these disparities exist? Sure. So uh, we launched Mom's Mental Health Initiative in March of 2016. My co-founder and I, her name's Becky Schrader, we met at a little fundraiser event. It's called Climb Out of the Darkness for another organization called Postpartum Progress. And we were talking after that event about how much women struggle in finding the right treatment and right care for what we call, um, there's a few different ways you can refer to it. Most people hear as PPD, postpartum depression, but that's just one disorder out of many that they can experience. Um, Sometimes the full term is perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. We also refer to it as just maternal mental health disorders. Um, But there's a it's very hard to access care and it's very hard to access the right care, finding providers that truly understand maternal mental health illnesses that truly know how to treat them, who know um, how to recognize them, how to talk with the mom. There's a lot of ignorance out there. And, and this isn't just in um, like with the OBs or primary doctors, this is even in the field of psychiatry. Uh, There's a, a lack of psychiatrists in general, but a lack of those who have some expertise in the perinatal period, which Mm. sometimes they just don't want to address it because they're afraid. You have moms who are pregnant and you medicate a mom when she's pregnant. And then you see on TV, you know, the attorney going, if you took this when you were pregnant, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then also for moms who are breastfeeding for lactating moms. So, uh, however, it shouldn't be something they're afraid of. Um, And there's, at least in Wisconsin, we have a great psychiatric access program for perinatal moms called the Periscope Project that we work closely with. So um, anyways, um, 
But we were finding that um, at that time, there just was really a struggle for people to find help. And we experienced it ourselves. So my first baby I had in Indiana and um, I, you know, I have a history, like I have a familial history of depression, anxiety, like it's, I have older half siblings, they experienced it. Um, And then I had a history of it, like starting when I turned 18 and going off to college, having some depressive anxiety episodes. Um, And when I got pregnant, I, my understanding was PPD happened to women who weren't getting the right support. Well, I mean, I was married, I waited till Mm -hmm. the kids, I education. I had supportive family. I had means. Um, so I didn't really think about it. And then, um, my, um, OB never asked about it, never screened. Um, you know, they didn't really, no one took my mental health history. You know, I got Mm. a physical history, but not a mental health history. You know, we talked about other potential issues, but nothing about what could happen. Um, when it comes to my mental health Hmm. and looking back and looking through my journals, I probably had some good anxiety during my pregnancy (laughs) and it's hard to manage like what's normal and what's not. Um, What we look at in this area is how it's affecting your ability to function. So of course there's going to be a normal amount of anxiety when you're pregnant, especially with your first baby, but is it really affecting your day-to-day functioning and, And mine wasn't, but it was coming out in different ways, like in my dreams or, Mm. you know, say the wrong thing to me at work and I'm crying for a weekend Mm. and fearful. And it just wasn't hormones. I think I just had this anxiety building up. Well, as soon as I delivered my son, he came three weeks early and um, I delivered him. It was like I had an acute onset of anxiety and depression Um, and how do you, and Erica, you might speak to this better than me, but, um, you know, as soon as that baby's delivered, you have this massive drop in your hormones. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that hormones affect your brain in every possible Mm -hmm. way. So for those of us who are lucky to be vulnerable to anxiety or depression, that hormonal drop can have a significant impact. And that's what happened to me. And so I was getting, um, anxiety. I had some intrusive thoughts, which are thoughts that you don't like. They're just kind of dark and disturbing. It's not something that you premeditate or think about, but they're just, they're just icky and you don't like them. Mm -hmm. Um, Every time they brought me my baby, I had panic attacks, like shaking, and it just wasn't being addressed. Um, And then uh, I told my doctor before I was discharged, like, I'm starting to feel some anxiety around this. I mean, I didn't want to be discharged. They're they're like, your your baby is jaundice. We need to stay for a few more hours. I'm like, okay, I I can stay overnight. Like, I just, I was terrified. And um, I asked, you know, I said, I, I might need some meds and He's like, well, you shouldn't, don't be anxious because when they become teenagers, it gets a lot harder. And I was like, like, I really want to hear that. That's really helpful advice. (laughs) Right. So he gave me a low dose of an SSRI. um, And I've been on higher. So, (laughs) but anyway, and like, so when I got home, it just was terrible. You know, I was vomiting from anxiety. 
um, physical ailments, panic attacks. Every time I looked at my son, it was like this overwhelming like feeling of I'm going to vomit and I can't do this. And I mean, I still did it, but there was just so much um, like terror inside of me. And I had to take my son to get his Billy Rubin check. So checking for his levels regarding his, because um, he was jaundice. And I would go back to the hospital, to the maternity area. My doctor's office was in the hospital. Um, and I laid there and with my head down and just said, will you, to the nurse when she came to get my son, will you please get my doctor? Something is not right. Something just isn't right. Please get my doctor. She's like, okay, (laughs) she left and then came back. She's like, I talked to your doctor and he wants you to uh, take some Tylenol and drink more water. Mm. And I was like, okay, what do I know? I don't know. I mean, I don't know normal and what's not. This is your doctor. This is a power thing, right? Right. right? Like you don't question your doctor. Power Um, thing. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll get back to that more later too. You were trying to advocate for yourself, but you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe I'm not. And I didn't have the words to say what was going on. Mm -hmm. I just knew something was off. Mm. Um. And so, you know, I was screaming for help and trying to connect with so-and-so and like, it just, it got bad and the meds weren't enough. And I ended up going to the crisis center one night and they sent me home. I didn't want to go home, but they were like, increase your meds. And then they had somebody contact me who's actually one of um, like kind of the PPD guru. She used to be president of postpartum support in international and she's located in Indianapolis and she got a hold of me and she connected me to a provider right away that could get me on the right medications and get me on the right path. But I mean, I had those intrusive thoughts that were, I didn't have them frequently, but I had them where they were just dark and disturbing and I didn't trust myself. Um, And the joy, like my joy was hijacked. It was totally hijacked. And I would say within two months, I started to kind of feel that joy back and feel more connection and probably took a good year for me to get fully back. But I've had some like therapists later say, you know, because they didn't respond to you as soon as they should have, like your, um, your experience was way worse and took longer to get better. Hmm. So that's what we know, you know, the longer you wait, the longer it takes to get better um, versus addressing it right away. So I had it again with my second, but even though I was prepared, um, I had medications and I had my OB working with a psychiatrist, working with a therapist, you know, I had my postpartum plan and um, I sent my baby to the nursery every night and I slept, you know, I was like, I'm not, don't disrupt. I need my sleep. And it was a great experience. And um, when I got home, it was like PTSD and some of those feelings started to come back. So I had to do an additional medication, but then later on I went off one of those medications and then there was like some big triggers. And I'll tell you, one of them was the Newtown shooting of the school with all the little kids in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I remember when I was sitting there and that happened and I was so sensitive and vulnerable at the time that that was just a really deep trigger for my anxiety. Hmm. Um, and um, I was going to like go back to work more full time. And like I sat in the parking lot at Target before I left to go to work calling my mom and calling my boss crying saying, I can't do it. I just can't like the anxiety depression hit. So then I had to again, climb out of that by finding the right medication. And and that was so chemical. I was so bonded to my baby and I just loved Mm -hmm. her so much. And I loved being pregnant with her. Well, I didn't really love the pregnancy part, but I was connected to her when I was pregnant. Like it just, It was so good. And then all of a sudden it's like this switch flipped and you're not feeling, you can't access that connection. You can't access that joy and you think you're never going to get better. And, um, and then I got better pretty quickly, but, um, so, you know, I, I struggled too, um, with getting the right care. And here I am, like, I have worked as an advocate. I, I like serve women who are pregnant, but like, it just, it, it was ridiculous. And, and that just means that so many others are struggling to get the right help. Yeah. It's so interesting to listen to your story because like the tone in what you, which you tell it is very, is very non-judgmental or, and I don't hear shame about yourself. And I love that because it means I'm guessing that you've done healing work and because there's so many stigmas around mental health illness mm-hmm. and then you've turned it into, and maybe this is part of how you healed. I'm going to advocate for others because this happened to me, even, you know, at first I didn't know and I tried to advocate and no one would listen. And then I knew more and it still happened to me. And so now I'm going to take that frustration and pain of what I had to experience because you have empathy you have mm-hmm. empathy. You under you went through it. You understand, and you're going to empower other women. So, what is what is the work that Mom's Mental Health Initiative is doing? Well, let me give you a, a few statistics on maternal mental health um, to feed into that. So, what we do know is that maternal mental health disorders like postpartum depression is the number one complication of childbirth. It's mm-hmm. the number one. So, we're looking at like one in five statistically will women will experience this. So they will experience it um, anytime in the, when they, from when they get pregnant up to a year. And if it's untreated, then it's even longer than a year. Um, This is the number one complication. This is like more than gestational diabetes. Like this is the number one. Okay. Um, And we also know that it's a leading cause of death amongst um, postpartum and pregnant women, uh, suicide, death by suicide and substance abuse are leading causes of death. So, and this is what we know, like, you know, like people we're going off of people self-reporting. So this is what we know. So the numbers are most likely higher. Um, so knowing that, and then knowing that if it's left untreated, then, um, then we have some, major health issues that come up. So, you know, you're dealing with moms who um, might have long-term mental health issues. There's more likelihood of neglect. There's more ER visits. There's um, less um, 
attention with the baby and then the bonding is affected with a baby. And so then we're seeing kids who develop um, delays developmentally, mentally, cognitively, you know, emotionally. And um, when you affect the ability to bond with your baby or when you are affected by the ability to bond, bond with your baby, I don't want to blame a mom for it. Those are some risk factors. And then they're also looking and seeing that sometimes that plays a role into the mental health of the youth, of the child. Mm. If their mom is untreated, how that can come out to play in their mental health um, later on. So this is really is a crisis. Like this is a health crisis. When you think of one in five, and there's a spectrum of how people experience it, but of, of those who are screened, um, only 15% receive treatment. So like 75% of women are not getting treated when they are going through this. Like they're screened positively, you're saying? Yeah, they're screened at risk. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting treatment, okay? Right. Um, for various reasons, you know. But um, so, so what Sarah, we know... If we're, hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I want to jump in for for connecting this with, with women of color. And and you start off with the history. We we did have a, a guest last year, um, Lakeisha from Melanin Minds Matter, and we talked mm-hmm. about you know the the generational trauma. We talked about some of the the physical manifestations of racism and how that affects you and affects your body and and affects your mind. Um, so if we're talking about African Americans, the that's the group that I know most, right? <laughs> um, sure what racism kind of does before anything else, how early we interact with it, how that happens. And then you be, you're a, a young woman and you are becoming a mother. I, I know that there's stigma in the black community about mental health, um, acknowledgement of mental health issues, uh, searching to get some healing and therapy and medications and, and all those stigmas that, that, um, that are around that. I really have only had one interaction with a person that I I know now, and I don't know if this is this is worth a trigger warning. We typically don't have those on our on our podcast, but we were in the military together, and uh, I'm sorry, we were military wives together. Our spouses mm. were were the service members, but you take what you learn as a child in order to be accepted in the white community or um, that you have to work twice as hard. You've got to be twice as good. This is a thing. Black girl magic as if that is the best thing in the world, which is, you know, really just putting up barriers and figuring out how to protect yourself and how to overcome and, and overshoot whatever is happening to you and still continue to be successful in other things that you're doing. So we were um, friends as our spouses were working together you know, she had children and it was, it was, you have to do well. Your spouses have to do well because there's an eagle eye on them and their mm-hmm. members and everything they're doing or saying is, is, you know, spotlighted. And here we are supportive roles. Well, every, behind every good soldier is a fantastic wife who's keeping everything else together because they can pick up and go. They've got to go fight somewhere they've got to pick up and go you've got to hold down the fort you have to take care of everything whether you know how to do it or are used to doing it or not 
and and it didn't seem like anything other than that to me because that's what we all have to do so we're used to doing that and and her she was not any different with me her children she was not taking care of her children any differently than me the standard struggle this is hard being an army wife is hard being alone for 18 months is hard you know all of that is hard and and military wives typically kind of keep in contact you don't have to be in the same place anymore okay thank you sorry about that so so really trying to find each other again and let's reconnect because we're used to doing that and reaching out all across the world and I was searching for her phone number and I came across an article and it was an article about how she had killed herself and her children and it was because of the postpartum anxiety, depression, psychosis that she had. And I know from knowing her in her best of days, those aren't things you talk about. They either aren't things you talk about because, you know, you, you're supposed to have grit. We're supposed to be so super resilient. There's so many things that we have to do to, you know, protect ourselves from the world and to, to make sure that our, in, in our cases, you know, that your, your service member husbands, they, they need a stable family. They need everything to be great because you don't want the CO, you don't want, um, you know, a, a brigade commander knowing about any issues that might keep you from being promoted or might keep you from getting that next duty station. So it was, it was hard for me because, well, I mean, first, I didn't know. So then there's that, well, why didn't I see that she was going through something? Because we we were hanging out together. You know, we knew each other. We knew each other's families. But it's, it's a, a thing you don't talk about. It's a thing you don't see because if the whole thing looks tough, then it just must be tough. You know, it's hard for us all. So... How, I guess, a couple of my questions then for you is, you know, one, with racism being a public health crisis, and we're starting out with the racism well before we're moms, Yes. how, it, it, can you never have, if we can't fix what the issues with racism, and you put these issues with uh, PPD, mental health, on top of, how are we supposed to handle that and then what other things can help us get through the stigma of being the person that needs help and telling somebody you need help and then of course hoping that that person believes you and gives you the help you need Mm. I mean you have that there because I you know I can't take any of that back I can't go back with her and say well now I recognize a thing I didn't know what that meant I didn't realize Mm. well and I think you just hit on one of uh, many of the barriers to getting help and, and being well. Um, and across the board, stigma is one of the number one barriers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's for, you know, every culture that's for um, white women, black women, um, indigenous women, but it plays out so differently in, in each community. So, and like you said, for black women, there's this strong black mama thing, you know, you've had to carry the load for how many hundreds of years. And, and then like, you, you just, you just don't let it, your guard down. And, and, um, you know, 
your mom did it, your grandma did it, you know, that kind of that type of thinking. Um, and then, you know, if, if the church is involved, does the church even let me like have mental health issues? Like what is the, I'm not strong enough in my faith. I'm not this or that. Um, and then you, in your family, so your personal family, like what, how are they viewing it or what, you know, they struggled and they didn't get help. So they're not going to let you get help. You know, like, that's like, you're not going to be better than me. Um, so there's all these like issues of stigma. And then the other thing is, is that the symptoms of these disorders look so different on each person. And I think that's why it's often missed, especially by providers and practitioners. Um, but it's also culturally specific to the symptoms. So women of color, particularly black women, um, and they um, experience more physical manifestations in their anxiety and their depression, more headaches, more back aches, more stomach aches. And then you get this whole like, oh, that's just the, the mom complaining, like the doctors mm. are like, oh, here they are. They called again, you know? So there's a lot more physical manifestations that way. Um, so, and then you have somebody who has anxiety and no depression. Um, you have somebody who has depression and anxiety. You've got somebody who has OCD. So they're just obsessing in their head and their head won't, their minds won't turn off. And it's just, disturbing thought after disturbing thought and like seeking reassurance and, you know, and so it is very hard to see maternal mental health disorders on a person. Like mm -hmm. it's missed all the time and that's not anybody's fault as a friend um, because like, how do you know? And I, I have um, one of my board members, um, she's, uh, ran like two miles every day while she was going through it. <laughs> so like, it just, it, and it comes out with different, in different ways, meaning like moms will think, oh, did I make a mistake having my baby? Mm. My baby would be better off without me. Um, I'm ruining my family. I'm ruining my child. Like those type of things that they're thinking and, and they're, who is going to voice that? Like, right. who wants to voice that? Who wants to voice that they just had this baby and they feel awful mm -hmm. and they regret having a child? So all of those things are related to stigma. Um, and then, you know, we're not screening appropriately. So we need to screen pregnant and postpartum moms appropriately. And that might mean screening. Um, there are screening tools for different types of communities. Um, and it also means like knowing how to ask the right questions. This, there are discussion tools and that's what I really like too, is because it's, it's a, it's more informal. It's more in like the everyday language versus just screening for, um, affect or, you know, are you enjoying things in life? Well, I have a two week old. <laughs> <laughs> they like, poop and cry a lot. <laughs> How's your sleeping? Like it just, you know, like, you know, are you sleeping when the baby sleeps? You're not. Well, how come? Well, um, I'm not sleeping when the baby sleeps because I'm so afraid my baby's going to die that I just keep myself alive awake watching the baby. Okay. So that's where functionality affects is affected. Um, cause you're not sleeping because your anxiety is so out of, out of how do you want to say it? Like is not being controlled or managed well. Um, so, you know, really asking those, the right type of questions. And then, especially like when you're talking about, you know, we already have racism. That's like the, the given, like that's there. We know that stressor is there. Like we know um, it's passed on at a cellular level. We know like 
Black people have um, different health risks and higher health risks because of um, the generational trauma and the foods they had to eat hundreds of years ago. Um, all that, you know, is passed down. Like it, we all are like, oh, I have high, high cholesterol. It's, it's genetic, right? Well, yes. So is this racism, like it's passed through. So we have that. Then you have also the, just the everyday effects of stress on the body from racism and, and, and inequality. And, and we're not talking about like somebody who is um, hanging you up and, you know, this violent racist acts. And I think that's what so many people, especially in our community are like, oh, we don't have racism. And it's like, no, but all of our institutions that we are a part of, like the way that our homes were set up and designed, they're all based out of racist policies and mm -hmm. they still trickle down and play out today. And so your caregivers too, whether they are overtly racist or not, if they have been trained and they understand from the people that taught them that black people feel less pain right black people are a little more angry so that's just kind of how they are there's nothing wrong they're just you know it's you don't have to give them that much medication because they're probably they're probably drug seeking so you know don't do right. that. So those, All, those things happen and are part of our, our caregivers the uh, implicit bias the right. access the trust between patient mm -hmm caregiver i mean the yes. list goes on oh the trust right yeah. right mm -hmm. well and that's the, i mean that's where all that implicit bias in healthcare is why mm -hmm. we have these terrible numbers and these mm -hmm. the disparities mm -hmm. um and yeah like i'll tell you like plenty of white women get ignored by their provider you sure. know i was one right right so we get ignored by provider with this power play going on like you just they know what's best. And then when you look at how implicit bias then comes in for women of color, like the level or the rate of being ignored and not listened to just skyrockets mm -hmm. because you've got these ideas in there that you're not conscious of. But, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, they they're black, so they probably don't have much support at home or mm -hmm. they've got this or like you said, that's a drug addict or um, and then we know like all of the history of healthcare and black people. And, oh, sure. And, experiments without their permission and the lack of trust. And um, so, you know, all of that comes into play. And, and I want people to realize like that health, maternal health care, there's a crisis across the map. Okay. Like this is across every type of culture, every type of race, like women are ignored in healthcare, like we need to do better for women, mm -hmm. especially maternity. And then also women of color are experiencing that at higher rates, higher levels, and the data proves it. Higher Absolutely. death rates, um, higher complications. Um, so, you know, what can you do about that? Well, first we need to build awareness and we also need to be discussing this with moms. Every visit that a mom has with her doctor, they should be bringing this up. You don't have to go in depth, but normalize the conversation around mental health mm. so that when someone is suffering, they can speak up. And peer support is huge in this area because mm. peer support, when you have a peer who looks like you, um, has experienced life like you, and they say, I've been there, I'm going through it too, you will feel better, 
my doctor, you know, had me go talk to a therapist. I took this medication that helps a mom move towards her treatment plan. So peer support is, is massive. How do you how do you find those, Sarah? I, I think about um, Heidi. I know we had talked to uh, Maroon Calabash for some mm-hmm. things about doulas and how how yeah. how comfortable it might be to have somebody that looks like you and experience something like you to be the one sitting with you and holding your hand for. So how would you do that for for mom's mental health? Is there is there, you know, come an advocate that could come and sit with you when you're talking to your doctor to help? I think about that with, you know, grandma and mom who come home from the doctor and say, oh, he said, I'm fine. Well, we live with you and you're not fine. So now I'm going to sit in the appointment with you. Is there something like that, that someone can sit with you? Hmm. That's Those are great questions. And yes and no. So at Moms Mental Health Initiative, one of, we're a peer support organization. So we help moms navigate maternal mental health disorders. Um, And one of the things we do is we share information. So a lot of work on social media, a lot of presenting to providers, communities, podcasts about the mom's experience and perspective of maternal mental health disorders. You know, so that's one. Um, And what does she really need to get better? The other thing we do is we connect moms to these resources. So we have screened and vetted providers that we trust um, to, to help a mom. And we're, you know, always trying to grow that list. Um, and they understand the urgency, like you can't leave someone waiting when they're dealing with this. Um, Cause like your friend, it can turn into uh, could be fatal. So, um, you know, we have these relationships with providers. We're, we're slowly and we're trying to build um, providers who look like different people in our community as well. <laughs> You know, similar life experiences. Hmm. Um, So black therapists, therapists who um, are from the LGBTQ plus community. Um, We need therapists who speak Spanish. We need therapists who are indigenous and who are part of um, our uh, tribal areas in our state. So, you know, all of that is important. And then the last thing we do is we provide peer support. Um, what we do is we we have an online peer support group. It's private. You can't find it. It's via Facebook. So that's the only way you can do it. But it's for pregnant and postpartum one moms in southeastern Wisconsin who are going through this um, at any point in their journey. And it's peer support. You know, you post. Uh, I've had moms who are like, I'm so afraid my doctor gave me some medication to take and I'm sitting here with it in my hand and I'm afraid to take it. And then you get Bing, 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 bing. All these moms like I was there I've too. And I I'm wish I that. took it earlier. And yeah. I, you know, and, nice. and like, if you want to message with me, fine. And and then we'll provide some of that peer support too, like one-on-one, especially when it comes to engaging with their provider and talking hmm. to the provider and how to advocate. So that's one thing that we do. Um, but there also are lots of other peer support organizations around the country. And because of COVID, everything is like, virtual now. So you can access different ones like postpartum support international will have um, programs for women of color or for dads who are going through this. So, um, and then within Wisconsin, um, there is more work that's going on, especially at the state health department level uh, as far as like trying to build better uh, policies and um, better um 
like quality, improving quality um, around screening with moms and like at different um, health agencies, you know, trying to rely on different community organizations like African-American Breastfeeding Network. They have they have peer support. They have someone that will sit in with that mom and help them in their breastfeeding journey. And that's massive. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and when we look at like the home based therapists and home-based nurses, like that needs to happen. But each community really needs to, to create some of this too, you know, like. What um, about for the systemic things? Heidi and I are always talking about, you know, how are we fixing the systems? And as she's getting her doctorate, like who, who is teaching the therapists that are coming through mm -hmm. and, and the physicians coming through? Well, you know, that textbook is, first of all, it's 60 years old and it only gives you this version. This is, the whole person and this is how someone else might might experience that differently and stop putting that you know when you're when you're lactating that you know that there's there's something stuck if there's red and and raised well nothing on me turns red so mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember doing that for breastfeeding I'm like no right. nothing's red well it has to be a raised red bump or it's not I don't turn red so <laughs> where so are you where are you doing this? I know. And, and I think traditionally <laughs> that is true. I mean, it, 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 it's been like that. Um, I am encouraged, though, because there's a lot more policy that's being created around this. So we're like Congress um, federally, uh, they're looking at maternal health across the board. Like there are way more advocates in Congress right now for this, this topic. Um, they are trying to expand Medicaid so that mom's Medicaid doesn't cut off at 60 days after you have a baby. Mm, I mean, that is good. just nuts to me, like 60 days, like the, then they have no problems from pregnancy or delivery right. after 60 days. And like maternal mental health issues often don't pop up till later, sometimes three months, seven months in traumas with labor and delivery. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Um, so I feel like there's a lot going on there. We're trying to get, um, more money passed uh, at the at the federal level for like a maternal mental health hotline that's available. Mm. I mean, these are discussions like we've been involved with them. There, there, there's so many great advocates. I love um, the organization. It's um, maternal mental health. Um, what is there? It's M M H L A Maternal Mental Health Leadership Alliance. And then 2020 moms, they do a lot around policy hmm. at the state level. You're seeing discussions around race happening more often. So there's definitely much more of a focus around how racism is affecting um, moms and children, like the maternal child health programs. Hmm. Um, and, and I think at all the like conferences that I'm attending now regarding maternal mental health and even maternal health, like this is a number one topic. Really? The number one. Oh yeah. Like we are talking about access to care and um, serving um, those who are underserved mm -hmm. and looking at how racism plays a role. Um, the, the, the conversation is much more ripe now when you look at it across, uh, you know, at, at, at the political level. Mm -hmm. So, and also there's more about community organizations partnering with these Type mm. of community partners huh yes odd concept community partners is like this is this is it takes a village it takes a village 
to, to heal a mom. It takes a village to help a mom. It takes a village to, to, to help children grow up and thrive, thrive and survive. And these community partners, you know, they're placed in parts of the community so that they know that community the best. Mm-hmm. You know, we serve on certain um, advisory boards because we bring this perspective from the moms, you know, but we only bring a certain kind of perspective. Like, so more needs to happen and, and, and all that. So I am encouraged that it is happening and the conversation is there and there are, you know, I can't tell you what's going on in, in the medical schools and in the textbooks and, and, you know, you got to get a resident who is training you and who understands maternal mental health. And then you might get a good education around that and how it buys right. role. But, you know, that's hit or miss. I was like, I was brain sitting here thinking, I teach advanced assessment for the mental health nurse practitioner program at MSOE now, which is in partnership with Rogers. And I'm like, what? Well, I just, I've only taught it once, but I'm like, there's a lot of things that need to be added. I'm like, Sarah. <laughs> you need to come talk to my people I'm here Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> right i mean that's just that all goes into it and it doesn't have to be that hard to do like right. this isn't asking doctors to like go above and beyond where they can't you know insurance gives you 10 minutes with your patient this is about like changing just mindset and conversation and language. awareness yeah mm-hmm. Ooh, exciting there's a lot of like you've got some homework there, Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's really exciting when community organizations with a little bit dip, I mean we have different focuses, but there's even some overlap there. Just I think but both of us have this interest in holistic health and healing and people living out you know to the fullest of their potential and and you're giving a voice to moms who need to have a voice in, in times of crisis and to avoid times of crisis. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're trying to do that for people of, of color and students. And so I, you know, I think, I think your topic's more palatable for some than ours, but there's overlap too, even with the racism. So, I mean, there's so much data as we understand to support it, that I'm hopeful that that will help people understand that it truly it's these things are truly issues they're issues of um, equity and that we have to actually take intentional steps to make a difference in outcomes and so So when you look at term issues of equity I mean we're looking at barriers to care so you know stigma is one um, communication problems so being able to express and share what you um, are going through. And if you live in a, if you grew up in poverty and you lack education, um, your ability to communicate what you're experiencing is mm. a, a different level. And For then sure. if you're looking at cognitive development. So we understand like how poverty and being hungry and, and, and not knowing where you're going to sleep each week how that's going to like affect your ability to develop cognitively Mm -hmm. um, and children. So, and then also like transportation, like, gosh, Wisconsin's like, we have like terrible um, public transportation. And like, I'll, I can, I can tell you how many people like they, 
they have two hour bus drives to get to their appointment. The the one good thing about COVID is telehealth has Mm -hmm. really come to the forefront. Insurance is covering it. You were Um, talking, Sarah, about about, um, the... the baby with jaundice. I remember bringing home one of the kids and living on a third floor apartment. So first of all, getting up and down those stairs after my my second or third C-section, I don't even remember so many of them, but, but having to go in every single day, having to take the baby in for like 14 days to get blood work. Mm. And I cannot imagine without having a, a reliable car, you know, being able to be a stay at home mom and not have to worry about what work says or if I can get, I, you know, to, to even take those things into consideration, even when a mom misses to say, so I'm going to sit here while you berate me because I couldn't get a bus two hours here to come every day for 14 days. Give me a break or the you know, you're not a good mom because you don't have a separate room for the baby. So you don't have a full size crib. All you have is a bassinet. Well, there's one room and there's five of us. How about you help me figure out how to make it work for what I have? I don't have Mm. another room. (laughs) What am I going to (laughs) do? You need to meet people where they're at. And and the medical community should be doing that too. And it does do that in other countries. So Mm. it's not like, this is like new and, oh, we can't do this, but we need to meet people where they're at. Um, technology, like moving ahead with technology and apps and how much we can use apps to start tracking like healthcare and mental health care and, and all of that. Like there's where you're communicating with your provider in a different, in a different way. Um, you know, so I think these like, I mean, these barriers to care are massive, but then you add on top of it, like the implicit bias and, and the health inequities and food deserts. I mean, we look at Milwaukee and all the food deserts and, and people not being able to access good food. And it's not like they can just walk down the street to, you know, get good fruit. Um, so are we working with communities who are, are doing community gardens and teaching people how to grow their food? Like, mm. what are we, you know, there's so many ways we can't just like blame poverty on the people who are in poverty because mm. like they're, they're a victim of a, of a policy. They're a victim of um, so many things. Um, it's not like they're choosing to be in that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, at, at, at this point, like, I think our, you know, our organizations do match up in the sense is that we're trying to build awareness to, to things that people aren't visibly noticing mm-hmm. unless they're suffering from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's really um, unfortunate. Um, but I get it. I get that. You know, what I ask people to do then is you need to like, listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. And that's where that <laughs> empathy comes in. Like, I, I could write a book on the mother-in-law stories I hear mm-hmm. um, from my mom's like the, the judgment they receive from their mother-in-law or their partner or um, their boss, like the, you know, work, like works. So like our whole work (laughs) environment, when it comes to families and mothers, like we just, we don't take care of our own very well. Mm -hmm. And we don't take care of our, um, our major resource, which is children and moms. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like when you look at like Ozaki County, yes, we, we don't suffer from those poverty levels. Like we have, we don't have as many minority 
in our community. But like one thing that I learned in my peer support training is that you need to assume that everybody comes to the table with some element of trauma. It could be a small trauma or it could be a big trauma, right? Trauma-informed care, universal principles. Yeah. Trauma-informed care, trauma-informed education, trauma-informed leaders in the community, Mm -hmm. um, because trauma is probably our biggest barrier to health and wellness. And there Mm -hmm. is extensive trauma and trauma is defined by the person. Okay. Oh, yes. You experience that trauma. You might have had your baby and you're alive and you're healthy and your baby's alive and healthy, but you could still have a traumatic experience during that labor and delivery. And even if the doctor doesn't coin it as a medically traumatic experience, if you experience that trauma, that's trauma and that's mm. going to be carried with you. Tell your own story. I like well, there's that. The, there's our next podcast. Or there you go. Yes. Some future podcast. Yes. Because yes. there's a lot to say about that. There is. Sarah, I want you to tell tell everybody again how, your website and how they can reach out. And we will certainly put tons of links and information um, in our show notes so that people can access it again after they listen to us. But how can they reach out to you and your, your uh, organization? So we are, our, our model is very much um, like an online virtual model. So we don't have a phone number because we're just not crisis managers. Uh, but you can go on our website, which is momsmentalhealthmke.org. Um, and there's ways to email us through there. It's also a really great tool for learning a little bit more about maternal mental health disorders and what each one looks like. Um, and, and then that's some tips and tools on how to advocate for yourself, what to say when you call your provider. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and we have, um, do a lot of information sharing on those platforms and you can message us that way. Um, and we always respond. Our goal is to respond within 24 hours, um, for a mom in need. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're just like, like, you know, wanting to know if we want to um, pay for an ad in your newspaper, you might not get it. Have to wait for 24 hours. <laughs> uh, but for those urgent issues, uh, we're definitely there. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Sarah, thank especially you. last minute. I guess it was meant to be. And we hope that our, our readers um you know, check out Sarah's website and keep that that um, organization in the back of your mind when you come in in contact with a woman or um, a friend or somebody that you know of that um, might be at risk for or experiencing mental health related to pregnancy and childbirth. So can I say one more thing? Say it, Sarah. It's okay to ask how mm-hmm. they're doing and mm-hmm. it's okay to bring up postpartum depression. You can't give anyone postpartum depression by asking about it. Hmm. So it's okay to be straightforward and ask. It's good thought. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and any program ideas. Spoken word artist propaganda states, we need to consider the waters we swim in. Maybe it's not toxic to me, but it's toxic to my neighbor. And if it's toxic to my neighbor, it's probably toxic to me too. Let's breathe better water. Contact us on our website, 
at www.bridgethedivide.life. You can email us, info at bridgethedivide.life, or reach us on social media. Facebook is Bridge the Divide Community, and on Instagram, it's Bridge the Divide Podcast. <laughs>